When you think about arrivals, you may be thinking right now about Trump and Hillary arriving to their podiums, but I hope I can get you away from that just for a few minutes. Are going to be tough tonight? Okay. When I was a little kid, Santa Claus used to come to our hometown, uh, and he would come to the mall. And I always remember the arrival of Santa Claus uh, to, to Jackson, Tennessee. And he, it was strange. He didn't come on a sleigh. He came uh, in a helicopter. Isn't that odd? I mean, you're Santa Claus. You come in a helicopter. But, uh, you know, as a little kid, you're waiting. You're anticipating the arrival. And then you, you hear that helicopter. And you can't see it. And then out comes Santa. Isn't that awesome? And, you know, by the way, in about two months, he's coming to Ruston, isn't he? And he's coming to your house. And he's coming to your credit card. So you best be, be aware of that. We're in Acts chapter 2 tonight. And I want to tell you, This is an arrival of arrivals that we're going to see tonight. Here's what we're going to begin with. The Holy Spirit has arrived in Acts chapter 2. And I want to tell you, it beats even Santa Claus showing up in a chopper. I guarantee you. Verse 1, look in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. I'm going to give you some thoughts on a lot of this because there's a lot packed in these first 13 verses. The word Pentecost means 50th. Pentecost was one of three major Jewish feasts or celebrations. There was the Feast of Tabernacles. There was the Feast Passover Feast, which they had observed 50 days earlier, and then Pentecost. It's, in the Old Testament, it's also called the Feast of Weeks. It was the coming, celebrated the coming of the grain harvest, and these guys are, uh, they're in a, a room. We don't know if it's at the temple. We don't know if it is a room besides the temple or a house besides the temple. Interestingly enough, they have discovered in modern archaeology some very wealthy old 2,000-year-old homes right by the temple, which had some very large upper rooms. We have a picture that is uh, the, the place today where they say in Jerusalem was the, the upper room, and that maybe was the room place where the day of Pentecost happened. You notice it, it, Pentecost means 50th, and there's real significance here. The day of Pentecost is going to happen 50 days uh, after the Passover ended, and so it's, it's happening almost certainly on a Sunday. Now, here's something kind of interesting. Jesus arose from the dead on what day? On Sunday. And Pentecost is going to happen on a Sunday. And you wonder, and some people say, well, why do we worship on Sunday? Aren't we still supposed to worship on the Sabbath? Well, in the book of Acts, it showed Christians begin to worship on the first day of the week, probably to separate themselves from Judaism. But also, I think it's because every Sunday we should celebrate the resurrection and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So there's significance in that. Look in verse 2. Here's where it starts getting interesting. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house they were sitting in. Now, listen, it doesn't say that a wind came. And that's interesting. It says that it's, it was the sound like a mighty wind. It, the, the word mighty there means violent, and it probably better for us, it means powerful. One Bible commentator I was reading this week said, it's like the coming of a tornado. Have any of you ever been close when a tornado was upon you? Uh, I Thank God I never have been. But I hear it's, it's very, very loud. And, 
Uh, in fact, when, when I was pastoring in Texas, I had, I'd pastored a, a girl. I'd moved to, to another church, and she moved to another city. She was in Gerald, Texas in 1987, or May 1997, when an F5 tornado came through. Do you remember that, seeing that on the news? Uh, neighborhoods disappeared. I mean, there, there were slabs. That was all that was left in places. And she, thank God, survived. And, and someone asked her, did it sound like a train? And she said, no, it sounded like five trains coming through. Now, this was a powerful noise. This was a powerful, this is the, this is the Holy Spirit coming in the room. It's probably, in, in, in this instance, it was going to make a ruckus. It was going to be powerful. And, and folks, the Bible often uh, illustrates the Spirit. In fact, the word Spirit and wind in Greek are very similar it often uh, will illustrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, the work of God with wind. And then it continues in verse 3. It says, And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. This is probably what they saw. Instead of literally being fiery tongues, that's what it appeared to be to them. And, the, and fire throughout the Bible is symbolic of God's presence, of purity, God purifying, and of God's judgment. So there, there's significance in that wind and the fire. What ha, what's happening here? Two major things are happening here. Here's the first thing. We see the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, this isn't just significant for them. This is super big for you and me. And to understand this, in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that more in just a second, what that means. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I want you to go back, or we'll go on the screens to chapter 1, verse 5. And it says, so John baptized with water, but you're fixing to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I'm going to explain this more in a moment. They were baptized in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, but the first thing happened is they were baptized in the Spirit. The word baptized can mean figuratively to identify with. Literally, it means to be submerged. That's why we baptized by immersion because we take that word literally to submerge somebody underwater. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is not just to get a little religion or a little touch of God. It is to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. It is to have the Holy Spirit come in and possess you and take you over. Now, now folks, this is hard to get your head around, but at this particular time, the Holy Spirit had not come upon every believer. Pentecost is a one-time event just like Calvary. Pentecost was these believers all together in one room. They're all getting the Holy Spirit to come and live with them and in them and to possess them. How does that apply to you and me? When you got saved, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. You, you, you don't have to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about how, what you need regularly in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to get baptized in the Holy Spirit but one time because you need to be saved but one time. And Romans 8, 9, a verse that, that, that I've used recently, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh or controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, what does it say? Read that with me does not belong to Christ. So see, it's impossible to be saved without having the Holy Spirit. So when you got saved, listen, you didn't understand it. There's no, a 10-year-old doesn't come down at Bible school and get saved and go, man, I just got justified. I'm getting regenerated. I'm going to be glorified. And I just got baptized in the Holy Spirit. If a 10-year-old says that, they are the next Billy Graham. Because they got a lot more figured out than most of us. But here's what happened. If you got saved 
If you get saved tonight, you get immersed, baptized, and possessed by the Holy Spirit. Is that not wonderful? That's what happened to these folks, man. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But here's the second part. We see the filling of the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled is a great word. It means to be influenced. It means to be full. It means to be filled with something. Folks, when you got saved, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And probably maybe no other time in your life have you been so filled by the Holy Spirit is that one time. The, the, word, the best way to understand being filled with the Holy Spirit is to, it's synonymous with control. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. See, this makes it very difficult. We can make it mystical. I want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill me. We are filled by the Holy Spirit when we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And when you got saved, if no other time in your life, you were surrendered to the Holy Spirit. See, we ought to, we ought to have a, uh, right after people get saved, when we ought to vote on major things at the church. Because that's when they're going to best hear from God. Amen. <laughs> that, that's, that's absolutely the truth. You need to be baptized in the Spirit one time. You need to be filled by the Holy Spirit every single day. One of the greatest illustrations about being filled with the Holy Spirit, ironically, comes from the Bible, and it has to do with the drunkenness. Isn't that interesting? But you're going to understand it. Not that any of you have ever been drunk, but you've seen drunks. Ephesians 5, 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, none of you have been drunk, but I'm going to explain this to you. When a person is drunk, they are filled too much with alcohol, correct? And when they're filled too much with alcohol, alcohol controls them. You ever seen a drunk? They act dumb. They say dumb things. They're either angry or they're crying. Have you ever noticed that when someone's drunk? But they're controlled by what's filled them, the alcohol. And isn't it neat? God, the Holy Spirit, uses this illustration because we understand it. Don't be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by God. How do you get filled by the Holy Spirit? Make sure you have him. Number one, you've been baptized in him. And then you daily, you confess your sins. That's why we spend time daily with God. We repent. We surrender ourselves. You can't be stubborn, hard-headed, and full of sin and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of us have the Holy Spirit. He's just bottled up in our big toe. He needs to be turned loose. Folks, the Holy Spirit's in this church. We need to turn him loose, don't we? We need to turn him loose. See, be filled with the Holy Spirit is be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit come, he didn't come for just some theological concepts. He came to possess and to fill people who are going to change the world. Isn't that great? And see, that's you and me. That's you and me. He came to possess us and to fill us. I just want to ask you, this isn't the invitation, don't get excited, the sermon's not over, but will you let the Holy Spirit fill you? Will you let the Spirit fill you? They did, man, they let him baptize them and fill them. And that's what you need. You need one baptism and you need many, many fillings. Now, here's the second thing. This is where it gets fun. Speaking in tongues comes with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, these weren't Baptists, were they? Laugh with me, come on. You know, Baptists get uptight about this. Here's my goal tonight. If you're a hard-shell Baptist, I may make you mad. But before you get mad, realize I'm 53, and I was, I was Baptist before I was born. So I know, I know the Baptists, and, and I'm, I was Baptist-trained and Baptist-weaned and all that. So, but I want to be biblical is what I want to be. 
You can't get away from this, can you? What happens here? I mean, you can. You can overread it, explain it away. But look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. This is where we get uncomfortable because we, we don't understand this. Cindy, do you remember when we were in Israel, our tour guide was taking us up to the, the room, the upper room, where they thought the day of Pentecost took place. There was the most unusual, loud noise coming out of that room. And our guide said, our, our guide said no, we're going to wait a minute, and then we'll go in there. And he said, another group's in there. Well, that went on for a while, and then they left. And what he explained to us, it was a Pentecostal group in there. That they were speaking in tongues. And even then, it was a little confusing, you know, especially the people in our group who weren't Christians who, who didn't have me as their pastor to explain all this to them. So you gotta, you're not listening is why you're not laughing. Whatever. Okay. What is speaking in tongues? Let's look at this. Number one, speaking in tongues can be speaking in a known language that you don't know. In fact, that's exactly what was happening here. Look in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Listen, this is so significant. The Jewish men, a lot of them would have brought their families, were, were required, if possible, to come to these three feasts every single year to come to Jerusalem for these feasts. Now, some of them lived there. Some of them were, were bivouacking with people, family and friends. Some of them were staying in inns. Some of them were ta- staying in tents. A lot of them came to Passover. Remember, Jesus died and, and arose on Passover weekend, and they just stayed over for the, the celebration of Pentecost. So you've got a lot of people uh, here at this time. In fact, uh, this is a pretty big discrepancy, but one scholar I read this week said Jerusalem in this era had about 100,000 people, and it, it, during these feasts, it could swell up to anywhere from 200,000 to a million people. Could you imagine, Rustin, we go from 20,000 to, to 50, 60, 200, 300,000 during a feast? Wouldn't that be awesome? And we could get them to come to church and they would tithe, and it would just be wonderful, wouldn't it? Okay, look in verse 6 through 8. Here's where it really gets neat. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They, man, they heard all this noise. They were, this is near the temple for sure. They're bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. In verse 6 and 8, when it uses the words language, it's using the word dialect. And we're going to see these are people from all over the world. There's 15 countries he's fixing to list. And they're hearing the, the message of God. They're hearing the praises and, and the, the marvels of God. And they're hearing it in their own native tongue. Now, let's look on at verse 9 through 11. He gives a list of these people. Perinthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. A proselyte is someone who can converted to Judaism. If you're a man, that involves circumcision. For a woman and a man, it involves trying to sacrifice at the temple, committing to obey the law. Uh, and being baptized. Then he says, uh, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty 
works of God. Fifteen nations are represented here, 15 countries. We have a map. This map is really cool. You, you go home and you can Google it. But this, this shows Jerusalem here. And this is the different areas that people from this part of the world, and a lot of people believe this was just a representative list. There were more. But here's Jerusalem and people from all over these parts of the world, devout men, godly men, God-fearing Jewish men had come. And, and then, listen, they're fixing to go home. Folks, the Great Commission is fixing to get a boost right off the bat, isn't it? Isn't God smart? Isn't doesn't God know what? The Holy Spirit just... Shazam happens to come when there is triple, maybe quadruple the number of people in Jerusalem. There's people from all over the world that are serious about God who are fixing to go home and take the message back with them. Isn't that cool? Doesn't God know what he's talking about? But what was tongues here? Tongues here was not an utterance that could not be interpreted or understood. It was someone speaking in a language they didn't know. How many of you here know Russian? Is there any, now don't you lie or I'll bring you up here. Do any of you hear, I'm not going to say Turkish, I see Mike and Mary. Uh, I said one time, I said, how many of you know Mandarin Chinese? And of course, Dr. Lee and all them raised their hand and that ruined the illustration. If you walked outside tonight and you bumped into a Russian who didn't speak English and all of a sudden you started sharing the gospel in Russian, how many of you agree that would be a miracle? <laughs> oh, it would. It would, and by the way, this is never repeated in the rest of the Bible, but isn't that cool? Tongues can be speaking in the language you don't know. Could God do this still? Could God do this still? Absolutely, God could do this still. He happens to be God. Here's another thing about tongues. Tongue is, tongues is a private prayer language. And, and now, here's your homework. Go home. Don't do it right now or you'll hurt my feelings. Study 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. You'll, you'll see more about this. But tongues is mentioned not only here, like, like a language that someone doesn't know they're able to communicate with, but it's also a private prayer language. Here's the third thing. Tongues can be an unknown spiritual language with a message from God. I know that's, I'm tongue-tying you with my tongues there, but tongues can be an unknown, in other words, it's not a known dialect, spiritual language with a message from God. Here's what most of us have experienced, and here's where the confusion comes in is this real well first corinthians would tell us it is first corinthians 14 27 if any speak in a tongue let there be two or at the most three and in each turn and let someone interpret now i left this out but verse 28 basically says don't do it unless there's someone there to interpret now someone can say well this is talking about a known language they don't know that wouldn't even make sense would it why, why would be there a need for annie to get up tonight and share a message in spanish and norman to translate when she can speak english i mean that that wouldn't make sense and this is where we get confused and this is where people sometimes i think make mistakes we we say well that doesn't make sense what you, you know what, what are you talking about that that god would give a, a a spiritual language or some language that people don't understand to share a message let me tell you a true story that my sister shared with me and she has spiritual credibility with me, so I believe this 100%. She worked on her master's degree at Regents University in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And that's a, it's a charismatic, more, uh, more Assembly of God, Pentecostal type of a school. Great school, great academic school. And when she was in chapel one day, someone got up and spoke in tongues. 
And she said, you know, you, you did not know what it was. And then someone else stood up in another part of the room and interpreted. Now, folks, this is not someone stands up and mumbles something. And then Jeremy says, well, they said Jesus loves you. We don't need to hear that in a tongue, right? And what the interpreter said was, is that this person has just said that God is fixing to do a great work in Virginia Beach. But before he does, there's going to have to be some major changes in some some big areas in our community. My sister said in the next six months, a pastor at one of the biggest churches in town had been having an affair with a woman for several years that came out. Boom. The church initially, of course, was devastated, but then revival broke out in the church. In another church, there were some of the staff members, there was some fraud and stealing of money, and it came out. They were removed, and there was some great pain and suffering, and then, boom, revival happened. At the university, there was a dean who was causing trouble and stirring things up, and it came out in the open. He was removed, and revival happened at that school. My sister said it was absolutely verified by the fruit of what the message was. Is this real? Absolutely. Do you need to be very wise and careful with this? Absolutely. You don't play games with God. And, and this is, it's been abused, and that's where I think it, we, we tend to have a fear of it. So tongues can be, and what we see probably most of the time, these unknown utterances with a special message from God. Now, here's the fourth thing. Tongues always should be Christ-honoring and God-glorifying. In other words, where, it's got, where, where this has caused problems sometimes, like other issues, is that it's, it becomes more about me than it becomes about Jesus or it becomes about the Father. Look in verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The ones glorified here were not the ones speaking in tongues, but the Lord God Almighty. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. And it goes on, I think, doesn't it? No, and let all this be done for what? The building up. So, folks, tongues is a spiritual gift. We're going to see more in a second. A spiritual gift, whether it's preaching, whether it's singing, whether it it is, is serving whether it's with music, it's not about you. It's not about making you look good. It's about bringing glory to Jesus, seeing people saved, and strengthening the church and other people. Does that make sense? And see, that's where we've gotten in trouble, not with tongues, just with tongues, but with a lot of things. Here's the last thing on the tongues. Not everyone's going to speak in tongues. Okay? We have a, to be a deacon in our church, we have a deacon qualification list. One of my friends in, in a, another church told me about uh, where his brother-in-law went to church. They had a deacon qualification list. And one of the qualifications for a deacon was they had to speak in tongues. That would whittle our deacon body down pretty quick, wouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely it would. Here's something that you better really get a hold of. I've, uh, I've had people tell me that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Are you a little nervous now? You, you, you should be. Let me, let me just say this. Tongues is a gift. You don't have all the gifts. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29 and 30, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? 
Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And listen, the unspoken there is no. It's, it's not. So, no, not everybody's going to speak in tongues. If you're taking notes, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that you're saved and you're walking with God. Not even that you preach well or you speak in tongues. Those aren't evidences that you are, are walking with Christ necessarily. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's what we have done a lot of times. We're so scared of the Holy Spirit, or we're so scared of making an error here, we, we develop a theological system that says, oh, that stopped. That, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, where's that in the Bible that it stopped? God doesn't speak anymore. Where's that in the Bible? It's, it's not in the Bible. 1997, I, was, uh, I, I applied to be a chaplain with the North American Mission Board, our, our, our Southern Baptist Home Mission Board. I was looking at being a prison chaplain. Cindy was going to have to go to prison, and I thought I could minister to her. <laughs> and and the, with the guy who interviewed me, he was very nice, and then uh, it didn't work out, and that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing anyway. But, but here's what he asked me at the end of the interview. He goes, and he was real tentative. He goes, have you ever spoken tongues? And I looked at him, and I said, I don't think so. <laughs> he I said, why? He goes, well, if you spoke in tongues, you can't be a Southern Baptist North American Mission Board missionary. Wow. Let's throw the baby out with the bathwater. See, here's what we do. We look at things that, that make us nervous, and we put them in a box. And we create fences and boundaries that God never created. Folks, you've got to learn to live with the tensions. You, and, and a lot of times you've got to understand truth is not hard right or hard. Oh, this sounds too political, hard right or hard left. But sometimes truth is looking difficultly and honestly at a passage and knowing there's some gray area there. Tongues is a wonderful thing, and, and, and it's, a, it's a spiritual language. It's a prayer language. It's a speaking in an unknown language, and it's not a gift that your pastor to this date has. You good with that? Here's the last thing. When the Spirit moves, you can't stay neutral. Do you know that? When the Spirit moves, you can't stay neutral. It's going to move you to honor God. That's one option. I love verse 12. Look at verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Here's a great thing. When God starts moving, you don't understand it. Isn't that great? Why? I can't figure all this out. You're not supposed to. Be perplexed and follow God. Let him move you. When God starts moving, things change, things are different. You're going to have to get up and get going. But if you will follow the Spirit, He's going to move you in wonderful ways. Here's the sad part of this. Sometimes it will move you away from God. Do you know that? When the Holy Spirit starts moving, you're going to go one way or the other. Verse 13 is a sad verse. Others mock them. That, that word's in there to say they made fun of them. They're filled with new wine. New wine was the sweet wine. It was the stuff that got you drunk quick. Peter's going to answer them in two weeks if you'll come back on that. You know, one of the saddest things I've ever seen as a pastor is, is now this isn't the saddest, but seeing revival, seeing God move in a church, this church, and, and in other churches, seeing people saved, seeing life change, seeing the pews full, seeing people happy, 
the Spirit's moving and people are getting along with it, but not everybody does. It breaks my heart. I've seen revivals where, where, where people have been saved and life's changed and people are mad because the pew was too hard or he preached too long. It wasn't me, of course. Or the music was too loud. It's like 20 people get saved and some people are going to miss it because they're angry or mad about something. Man, don't miss the Spirit of God. Good grief. Can't be neutral. Move with him. You know, some, some scholar says that Pentecost is the birthday of the church. One essence it is. Here comes the Holy Spirit. What a great day it was. I want to challenge you tonight. Let the coming of the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit coming in your life tonight change your game. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. You can do it after church or you can come when we stand and join us. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've never been saved. You need to get baptized in the tub, but you need to get baptized by the Spirit first. You come tonight. Let us help you find Christ. And every Christian here, Christian, will you make a commitment, whether it's where you're standing or at the altar, will you make a commitment tonight? Say, God, I want to live the rest of my life filled by your Spirit. Will you make that commitment? Listen, if if three-fourths of this room would make that commitment, it would change this church and, and probably this city forever. Let's let the Spirit fill us. Let's stand, and as we sing, you come.